When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Today we continue our discussion with who I coin the pioneer of pop, Sherry Palm. If you're yet to listen to part one of this conversation, just pause now and then come back. At the end of both of these episodes, we'd really love to know how they were helpful to you. You can either send a direct message over at our Brave Mama Instagram account, or if you're feeling super generous with your time, you can leave a review on iTunes. We'll pop both of those links directly in the show notes, so they're super easy to find. Because it's really nice to let other women know just how amazing Sherry Palm is. And we need to be sharing this information with our loved ones because we all deserve to feel seen, heard and supported. So today on the Brave Mama podcast, we have episode two of our chat with Sherry Palm, who is the founder and author of A-Pops in America. Thank you for coming back to talk to us. I'm delighted to come back again and, and continue the conversation, Stephanie. I know, like pelvic organ prolapse is so multifaceted and so complex. One episode was never going to do it justice. I'm nice. sure you and I could probably actually record 10 <laughs> Probably could, probably could. There's just so many layers to this. It goes on and on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for, I mean, for our listeners, I hope they stop this one and, and press pause and then go back to our first uh, episode and then come back to this. But just to do a little recap, let's talk about what is POP. I'd love to be able to get um, your insight on the types and the grades of POP because um, they explain very differently in different countries. So I'll, let, I'll leave it over to you. Okay. Okay. There are actually five types of prolapse. Yeah. Uh, well, first, I guess you should just start off with what prolapse is. Hey, there, it, it just is a condensed uh, version. It, it's women have got a, a muscle structure that sits at the base of the pelvic cavity, and that helps support the organs that sit above it in the abdominal cavity. And what happens for a variety of reasons, it's not just childbirth that causes prolapse. Menopause is a causal. There's a lot of different causes that create this concern for women. But what happens is because of of these different causals, those organs in the pelvic cavity, they start to drop down toward the bottom of the pelvic cavity. They shift into the vaginal canal and can push their way through the canal to the outside of the body. Now, obviously it's not the organs themselves that are pushing outside. You don't have a bladder that's actually literally, you know, look and there's, oh, this this is my bladder. (laughs) It's not like that. They sit behind the vaginal walls. And that is uh, what you're seeing actually when there's a bulge coming out of your vagina is 
the organ behind the vaginal wall. So you're seeing the vaginal wall tissue is what you're actually seeing, unless you have uterine prolapse. And then it's actually the cervix of the uterus that you're seeing because that organ can actually literally come out of the vagina. So that being said, there's five types of prolapse and they include the bladder, the rectum, the uterus. Uh, there's vaginal wall prolapse when the, uh, if you have a hysterectomy and the top of the vagina is not secured, it caves in on itself and that can come out the bottom end, or you can have your intestines bulging out of your vagina. So different types, women typically have two or three types of prolapse if they have prolapse. Some women at may have one time. at the same time, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and um, <clears throat> women can have just one type, but it's relatively rare. Women usually have, once an organ shifts, they all kind of start to move around in the pelvic okay. cavity. So uh, there's four grades of severity. Grade one is the mildest, grade four is the most severe. And when you have a uterus that's completely outside of the vagina, that's called procedentia. And okay. that is grade four prolapse. Um, so the bladder is called the systole seal. The rectum is called the rectal seal. Intestines are called an enteral seal. Okay. Um, there is uterine prolapse in the vaginal vault that I mentioned with the top of the vagina caving in. And a uh, quick run through causes vaginal childbirth at the top of that leaderboard because so much structural damage can occur when you're, you're giving birth. Menopause is not too far behind it though. And that's because of the impact of that drop in estrogen to your muscle tissue strength and integrity. Yeah. Women rarely realize or are informed of the fact that estrogen feeds muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. We tend to think of uh, estrogen loss in menopause as it makes us spacey, gives us hot flashes, we have insomnia. Yeah. Bones, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and there isn't a lot of dialogue about the fact that it is muscle tissue strength and integrity too. That's a, a big component. That's one of the reasons it's really important to optimize as much as you can. Um, heavy lifting is a causal factor. So reflect mm -hmm. on your, your children. We tend to think of exercising heavy lifting. We tend to think of employment heavy lifting. Okay. But what do women do with toddlers all day, every day? They're picking them up and that's heavy weight. If they're sleeping, it's dead weight, heavy weight. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, but into the high chair, you know, into the baby seat, carrying the baby seat out to the on. car. Um, yeah. If you're just getting that car seat into the car is awkward, weird positions. Um, into the bathtub, into the shopping cart. So there's so many different ways that you're picking up those children and you're not really... It's a habit for women. You'll think about it's it. It's all day. That's, it, exactly. that's yeah. It's all day. Exactly. So um, that's a big deal. Any hard foot strike, fitness activity. So or running. Uh, the running, uh, marathon running, uh, jogging. If you're doing aggressive aerobics where your foot's off the ground and it's hitting the ground hard when you come back down, that's also impactful. Uh, tennis, if you're an aggressive tennis player, okay. you, you might be doing the same thing. So uh, we don't discourage fitness activities. We are highly supportive of fitness activities. I'm a fitness geek. Yes, yes. <laughs> confessions here. I'm a fitness geek. But you have to really <laughs> think about what kinds of fitness activities you engage in and choose the ones that are more user-friendly. I speed walk. I do floor exercises. I do yoga. Um, I've got a weight machine that's got a very gentle sliding type of motion to it. So it, it's you have to just think about it. If you feel any pressure in your vaginal area or your pelvic cavity when you're exercising, you got to change up what you're doing. Yeah. Um, chronic constipation, cause and symptom both. Huge. Even from huge, childhood. Huge. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I, 
I honestly think that there's so many women that are, well, probably just people that are constipated, but women especially because of how our systems are built. Um, it partially goes back to the pressures of being potty trained too young when we're children, wow. when we're toddlers. This I is just my own, my own theory. I've never read okay. any research on it. But when yep. you think about it, being sent the message that you're a good child if you poop in the toilet, but your anatomy is not developed well enough to enable you to hold your bowel movement. Think what that does to you psychologically. Think what that does to you physically. I've had IBS my whole adult life. And, and so I don't know what started it happening. I don't know what the initial is. So I just, I reflect back on that. You know, I, it was like kids should be potty trained by the time they're a year old. Thanks mom. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. yes. so, so, I mean, we just don't know. And like I said, I haven't read the research, but I, that's my own theory. So okay. um, chronic coughing instead of um, with chronic constipation, when you bear down, you have a bowel movement, you're pushing everything down, not just that the poop, you're trying to push the poop out with chronic coughing, you're jerking everything. Yeah. So women that have got emphysema, allergies, um, any kind of respiratory condition where you're coughing a lot, you have the flu, Chronic, um, yeah. that can, can cause problems. Diastasis rectus abdominis is when that long abdominal muscle splits down the middle and oh, the yeah. here is down there. The separation, <laughs> the separation yeah. The yeah. separation, yeah. It stretches out and it sometimes comes back together after you give birth and sometimes not completely. Some women have got it like an inch wide uh, mm. diastasis uh, scar and that's a weak area in, in your core of your body. And so that yes. could be a causal factor. Genetics is definitely a causal factor. If your mom's had POP and your grandma and your aunt and your cousins and your sisters, well, guess what? Come on down. This is going to be you too. Uh, someone and, asked me that the other day. They said, oh, is it hereditary in your family? And I said, I'm not sure because we don't talk about it. About that stuff. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's. <laughs> Yeah, that is the, the big bugaboo, you know, it, it's all part of that whole, you can't talk about vaginal health, which I think is absurd. And anybody that knows me knows, I think it's absurd. And, you yeah. know, the, the bullhorn up going, vagina, 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 yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. street corner. So um, that's something that we absolutely have to address. Um, hysterectomy is yes. an issue. And certainly women often don't have a choice. They have got conditions that Yes. Make them have to have a hysterectomy. And, and so we can't say that hysterectomy is bad, that that's just not fair. No. So, um, but we're seeing a lot more over the past, I would say maybe two years, maybe three, about three years it started to go. I started to read more research on uterine sparing POP procedures. Yes. And so the medical community is recognizing that that uterus is the hub of the wagon wheel. And the organs yeah. sit around it and you take yeah. that hub out and guess what? It's all going to collapse. Yeah, it all falls in. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Things are going to move around and shift. So they're, they're being more conscientious about um, asking women what they want and thinking Only about taking what they need. Right. Exactly. Leaving that uterus in place as long as possible, if it is possible. Yeah. And, um, and with the, with the thing with the hysterectomy is that all too often, and this is to me is absolutely shocking that all gynecologists do a lot of hysterectomies, that all gynecologists are not properly educated about the, the, the need to secure the top of the vagina when they remove the uterus. 
Uh, all too often, I've, I've read somewhere that it's like 60 some percent, like 62% of gynecologists don't secure the top of the vagina when they remove the, the uterus. And then, then women end up with vaginal vault prolapse, it caves in. Wow. So it, it's, it's a, a thing that should be standard part of the curriculum for gynecologists or anyone that, that does a hysterectomy. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's one of those things that um, we, we blap about and hopefully we will be on the hill in Washington, Washington at some point um, trying to address it from the government side and say this has got to change at medical care level so that it changes all across the spectrum. Yes. And then um, uh, last but not least, neuromuscular diseases. And there's uh, MS, uh, some of them are tissue integrity issues and some of them are, are neuromuscular. So MS would be like a neuromuscular and uh, your, your muscle tissue is just not as behavable <laughs> as yeah, it yeah, should yeah. be. You know, it's got a mind of its own. And uh, think about women that have got spina bifida, if they're in a yes. wheelchair, they've been paralyzed for, for being in an accident or whatever. Uh, muscle tissue from that angle it, it impacts that whole pelvic area. And also women that have got the, the tissue integrity issues at the cellular level, like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, where they have really poor tissue integrity, integrity or the Marfan, which is the same, not the same, but it's a similar uh, kind yeah, of tissue okay. integrity issue where they have got uh, double jointed shoulders or hands or fingers, mm -hmm. or you can have only one double jointed joint in your body. They can all be double jointed. There's 13 okay. types of Ehlers-Danlos. It's very, very diverse. They call themselves zebras because the stripes on zebras, no two zebras are supposed to be the same. And that's how it is with okay. EDS that they all have different manifestations because there's so many different types. Some of them are more heart related. Yes. Um, so it, it's all over the page. So, um, but anyone one that has got any woman that has got EDS should be concerned about prolip because it's very very prevalent in the whole yeah. EDS community. So um, right. that's something that we're trying to bang the drum about. That's a huge, not a huge, but it's a significant portion of our following, and uh, we do respect that they have very significant needs. Complex. So, right. Yeah. Sherry. Right. What I have also learned just in my own journey, people talking about urethacil, is that classified as another type of prolapse or is it something different? No, no. It just kind of blends in with, with um, when, you're, when you're talking about the, the bladder prolapse issues. I mean, it's all in the same department, all the same area. And some women are told they have a urethacil. And I do believe, I mean, I, I haven't ever seen a study that was specific to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm not saying it doesn't, it doesn't exist or it doesn't occur, but I think it's just considered part of uh, the, the, the whole bladder area. And when you think about the urethra, when we're talking about prolapse, this is a tube, like a hose basically coming out of the bladder and that's how the urine gets outside of the body. Yes. And so true women in early stages of prolapse have incontinence. Women in advanced stages of prolapse have, have, can't get the urine stream to start. Mm. It's all urethra related. If that okay. hose is bent, the pee can't come out. It's so kinked, yeah. It's kinked, yeah. So um, I don't know that it's considered um, by the, the urogynecologic community, the female pelvic medicine reconstructive surgery community to be a standalone because when you lift that bladder up, you're eliminating the problem. Yeah, so it's a byproduct of a prolapse, right? So urethra, like you said, 
So yeah, it, it kind of goes like, with the like with the bladder, kind of goes together. It's, it's hand yeah. in hand. You're not okay. going to have a urethroceal on its own if you're it's all by yourself. There's something yeah. that's pushing that urethra down or pushing the dot of the way, uh-huh. something from the backside or the, or the top side. Something is moving that urethra. So it's yep. kind of a, a more of a, 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 I don't know if you can call it a symptom, but it, to me, it kind of seems like it's more like a, a, a side effect, maybe is a better yes. word, um, yeah, yeah. a different kind of prolapse. To me, that kind of makes a little bit more sense. So yes, it may, the way you've explained it makes total sense to me now. Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, when you said um, earlier that what you see out of the opening of your vagina is not your bladder so ill-informed I used to go around saying to people I can see my bladder it looks like a baby's head and it's didn't it took a long time to realize that that's actually not your bladder and if you poke it it's not going to pierce and then we goes everywhere right right exactly exactly yeah it's a little confusing yeah you picture and then it it is your vaginal wall but sitting on top of that or behind that is the bladder and uterus and and all sorts but trying to explain that to people is really hard and it's much easier for me to say yeah my bladder hangs out of the opening like oh okay I get that Mm -hmm. um I, I would love to talk to you and probably dig a little bit deeper especially for our listeners who uh even women, right? They don't understand. So if you've got a grade one prolapse or you've worked with women with a grade one prolapse, sometimes I feel like they look at me and say, well, why aren't you just doing pelvic floor physio to fix it? And when I explain the difference of a um, levator and I avulsion, Mm -hmm. even some women's health physio are like, what, what did you just say? They have no clue. And these are the experts I had no clue. I had to be self-taught and Google everything myself because there's not a lot around. Tell us about evolutions, please. <laughs> this is another sector of our following. It's funny you know, because we have such a diverse following. There are mid-teens through end of life and, and different types of prolapse combinations and everyone's needs are so unique within our following. Evolution is one of those subgroups of ours. EDS is a big, big one I have concerns about, and evolution is another sector I have a, a real concerns about. Because like you say, that this even the urogynecologists are not up to speed on this. And those are the that's the top tier mm-hmm. of, yeah. of practitioners that treat prolapse. So what evolution is is what happens is that we again back to that that um that bowl, that base trampoline shaped batch of pelvic floor muscles that support the organs above it. And levoderania is, is a part of a huge part of that bowl of muscles. And what during childbirth, there's so much pressure. There's, there's uh, women that have got, the upside for women that have EDS is they're, they're very lax tissue when the babies come out. <laughs> Really fast. <laughs> Two hours, bim, bam, boom, they're done. But gotta have some benefit. Yeah. But with with women that had that really struggle with labor, and anyone who has been through labor of any degree um, understands it's a process. Women that, that really have a hard labor uh, has a have a risk of literally tearing the muscles off the bone. Mm-hmm. Literally tearing the muscles off the bone. And, and you wonder why you have pain during childbirth. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> that's kind of a big deal. So um, into it a little bit deeper. Um, when we think about that, that muscle tissue tearing, um, 
it, it can happen a little bit. It can happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be a lot of microscopic tears that occur in the whole vaginal area, the whole muscle area, and just in general from labor. So imagine that you're in labor for, say, 36 hours. Yep. Was <laughs> that you? Is that you? Bless you. <laughs> um, the, the exhaustion that you have, that, that, the threshold of exhaustion that you've hit after even 12 hours of labor is yeah. intense. You're just drained. Fatigue. And, and if you're going through a long, especially a long second stage labor, which is the hard, hard the labor. pushing, yeah. And you, there's pushing involved and pushing involved and pushing involved. And it just goes on forever. Um, by the time you get to the, the, the page where you're supposed to, to finally, you know, okay, the baby's head's finally crowning and, and you get that baby out and you don't have an ounce of juice left in you. You're just fried. You're exhausting completely. Everything hurts. And so they have to use, often use um, tools to, to get mm-hmm. the baby out. Yes. And one of the most horrific tools that they use to get the baby out is forceps. They also do vacuum deliveries, which is attached, a, a vacuum seal is attached to the baby's head and they pull the baby out that way, which also can cause damage. Forceps is the worst. So picture, if you will, these two metal, and literally they're like your hands, tongs. these two metal plated tongs that they put inside you to pull mm-hmm. the baby out. Now, um, they may do it because it's been a really long labor and you're exhausted, you can't push that. You just can't push that baby out. Yeah. Maybe the baby's stuck. Um, maybe there's some other, other health issues going on and that the baby's in trauma. They got to oh, the mom. out yep. fast. The mom's in trauma. So there's so many yeah. reasons that they use forces. So, so we can't ever say with anything to do with, with prolapse or any of these sidebars of prolapse that they should be banned, should never do okay. that because women's individual situations are so unique. They're so different. Everything. So, yeah, you have to look at it, you know, from the big picture. Into, and yeah. I, what, I, what is frustrating to me is, I mean, I look at those forceps and I just think, oh, how can they put those inside of any woman? How can they do that? You know, and, and how can that not cause incredible structural damage. damage inside when they're doing it? Yeah. And so I actually popped a, a question into the forum. I remember if it was yesterday, the day before yesterday about, I can't understand why there's so much innovation in medicine. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing more and more um, studies on, I mean, it's, it's pretty much common knowledge in the medical community now that forceps deliveries cause a lot of damage and can cause this evulsion, even though the doctors aren't really advised and informed and educated about evulsion, they know Nothing. it causes damage. And, yeah. and picture, if you will, that metal plate literally tearing through that muscle. I mean, just, it's horrible. It's horrible. So, um, when we think about risk factors, which is, is something that should really be evaluated before a woman gets that close to her birth date. Oh my goodness. Even before pregnancy almost so that you can work through the fear of that. Yeah. And, and knowing, you know? knowing what you have, you know, what, what can cause some risk factors for you. And there's a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people say to me, you know, why do you want to scare women? Oh, I, and I've, I had research, I've had researchers say that to me. I'm just like, are you being funny? Are yes. you being serious? Women need to yes. know this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. When we think about uh, uh, risk factors for having a complicated delivery, 
that may involve forceps. We're looking at babies that are sunny side up. They're not that coming out the way. Is that you? Okay, so that that's an issue. And, the and they, they, I mean, sometimes they can go in there and move the baby around, which I understand is not the whole delightful experience by itself. <laughs> but um, uh, if that baby comes out sunny side up, that's a problem. That That's a problem. Uh, if the baby has a high birth weight, and certainly women that have got gestational <laughs> diabetes. Yes, yes, okay, and so yes. That, you get bigger, the baby gets bigger. You know, that's the nature of diabetes, you know? So that, that's an issue. Uh, large fetal head circumference. That's, mm-hmm. that's a genetic thing. Okay. You or your husband have big heads. You just, it, you just, that's just, you can do about it. You know, that's just the way it is. Um, it's suggested that women that are over the age of like 35 ish have a greater yes. risk. And, and I don't, I, was that you too? Okay. So you, you're like, yeah. you had the whole, the whole board here. Um, I had six risk factors, I oh think, going, gosh, which I didn't find out till after the fact. Yeah. See, and again, this is something that women, they just don't know about this, but doctors need to know so they can screen those women out and consider doing C-section for those women and at least have a discussion with women. Oh, I love that you just said that. At least have a discussion. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and certainly there are women that they're determined to have a vaginal birth. You know, they just think that's the natural way you're supposed to do it that way. But if yeah. you've got all these risk factors, if you have two or three of these risk factors, you have to really give some serious thought to, do you want to be in labor for 36 hours? Do you want to have yeah. potentially forceps put inside of you? Um, do you but, want your bladder living out of the opening of your vagina? Yeah, yeah. So, so it should be a dis- at least a discussion. Respectfully, give women that option of discussing it. Yes. Um, so, so emotion is is uh, uh, I'm I'm tickled to to share with you that I'm starting to see a little bit more discussion about emotion in the physician spaces that I, I hang out in and more in research. And I know a, a couple of uh, wonderful urogynecologists that have gotten into um, the MRI and the ultrasound imaging to yes. diagnose women with this, with this Correct. Uh, concern. Good, and, yeah. and I listened to a wonderful webinar given by a German urogynecologist. No, he was a urologist, I think. Um, that went into great detail with, it was all doctors on the, on the webinar, except me, um, about giving them tips and hints on how, to, what to look for in, in the imaging and all that. So it's starting to, to spread a little bit. And awesome. That's I, so good. I'm hopeful that it'll be incorporated more into the urogynecologic training that they go yeah. through. So it becomes more broad, broadly accepted and acknowledged and understood. And we can, can have a more positive outcome for women that, that have, you know, the issues that create these, these problems with uh, giving birth. So um, there, and there's, there's quite a few words that I got to stand on here someplace. Let me see if I can find it. Um, it was 10 to 36% of women, 10 to 36% of women are believed to have avulsion of some degree. And they probably don't even know it. And they have, and they have no idea. They have no idea, you know, and they may have um, uh, prolapse issues, and, and they try several different things and nothing's really working for them. Yeah, and they don't know if they actually have avulsion, you know, and they don't even know. I was, so. I was just about to say that I do want to talk about um, some treatment options and things like that in a minute. But I do just want to point out because you said something so pivotal to me personally, especially right now. So writing a book, The Day My Vagina Broke, and I obviously wanted, to, wanted it to be provocative. I wanted it to be thought provoking mm-hmm. so that people have conversations. 
I've had probably two women who have been brave enough to say to me, I wouldn't give your book to my daughter when she was pregnant. And at first, as a first-time author, my little heart broke going, oh, sure, oh, but sure. it wasn't meant to be that. But now I'm thinking, well, I respect that position, but I also now understand that these people haven't actually probably read it. And they're coming from a place of not ever having anything traumatic in birth happen to them. So they're coming from a place of natural childbirth was a cinch. The baby flew on out. Right, and right. they've had they might have had an episiotomy but they've never had prolapse or never mm-hmm. had issues so they or have don't and they have prolapse and don't even know that they have prolapse and yes you know, so so they can't understand what it's like for women living with prolapse especially right. grade three and four and so right. there's no connection and I respect that it's now my job to actually do that education not it's not about a book. It's about making sure people are comfortable enough to have those conversations because I don't want to scare women, Sherry, at yeah, all. Yeah. But I don't want them to look at me and say, why didn't you tell me right, if this happened right. to you? This is 2021, you know, and, and, and honestly, that the whole stigma thing around the, the vagina is so unsettling. It's so unsettling. Uh, if we flash back to the 1970s, which is when the, the breast health mm-hmm campaign first started to blow up prior to that you could not say the word breast out loud and in radio or tv you could not write the word in print media newspapers and magazines and look where we're at now we're all so comfortable with breast health and that's what we should be with vaginal health too you know um and so we'll get there i mean there's there's no doubt in my mind that that we're closing in um but i certainly still have uh not very often, but I do have the occasional woman who will put a comment on, uh, we have, uh, APOPS has got eight social media feeds mm-hmm. and one will come in from someplace and one of them and say, well, I, I just don't think this is appropriate. And yes. then I respectfully will respond. You have every right to have your opinion. And if it, it makes you uncomfortable to be in this space, then you shouldn't be reading this space or be in this space, move on to a different space. So um, it's everyone has a right to their own opinion. Mm. And it certainly is not any one woman's uh, right to shove our opinions on any other woman's throat. You know, women have to, you know, find out on their own way in their own time. And and it's the same thing with any health condition. You know, some people are very that have have different types of cancer, Mm. keep it to themselves completely. And they just don't want anybody to know that they have cancer because it's like, oh, well, they think they're going to get it from me or, you know, whatever. And so it's just, it all comes with health. And um, I know that when the the mesh mess was going on, all of the, and that's, and what happened in 2019 was minimal compared to what happened in 2011. It was 2011 to 2013 was a train wreck. It was just a mess. And I had literally hundreds of women chasing Mm -hmm. me down, trash talking. And I, I just, I stayed the course because um, mesh is a valuable tool in the right hands for the right woman with the right set of circumstances with prolapse. And I don't think, just as I have no right to tell a woman, you've got to use mesh. Hmm. Other women don't have the right to tell me I can't use mesh. So um, there's so much about this whole area, the oh. vaginal health area, um, the treatments for vaginal health, uh, yes. for, for prolapse, for avulsion, all these things that it, um, is controversial, certainly. And that's because we don't talk about it out loud enough. Yeah. The more we get this on the table, 
the more <laughs> women become familiar with all these different layers of it and it's extremely diverse, extremely diverse. Oh yeah. Um, the more comfortable we'll all get with it. Okay, brave mamas, let's take a short break. I do just want to let you know some a bit of behind the scenes because the dedication of this woman really needs to be recognized here. Sherry Palm was located in her local library to ensure that we had a good internet connection and a quiet space to chat. And about halfway through the interview, the library closed. <laughs> so did we just leave you hanging? No way. Sherry went back to her car and she set up her phone and her computer so that we could continue this conversation and she could continue sharing her knowledge with you. How amazing is that? So while we transition to part B of our chat, why don't you go grab yourself a cuppa? There are times of the day where caffeine-free tea is very much needed. For me, it's especially in the afternoon around that three o'clock when I need a pickup, but then I also need to be able to get to sleep later at night. So I'm totally hooked on Madame Flavors Raspberry Plum Hibiscus Tea right now. This one, you can actually have it hot or cold. So why don't we pause now if you want to go and grab a cuppa before we get back into it with Sherry. Evulsions. And I did just want to say, you know how you said so many is a high prevalence of people with evulsions. I have found in our conversations Women only find out that they have an avulsion because they can't get a pessary to stay in. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes, and then this is actually, that's a prolapse thing too, that you can't, even tampons, you can't even get a tampon to stay in. And so that in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean you have an avulsion. Um, that's prolapse can cause that to happen. But there's so many layers of prolapse that, do, I mean, they overlap between both, mm-hmm. you know, both avulsion and prolapse, both. So um, certainly avulsion predisposes women to prolapse. I mean, it's just, that's like a no brainer. And you've got muscles that's completely ripped away to any degree from the bone. Yes. That's your support structure. Yeah. So it, it just, it makes sense that if that's what, um, you know, has occurred with you, then yeah stuff's going to come down. It's going to come out. And, um, there was, there was something on here I wanted to share with you that, um, uh, it, 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 for women, I think probably the most pronounced because women aren't, aren't checked for avulsion. They're not even checked for prolapse during routine pelvic exam. So you have a baby and then you go for your, 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 your exam six yeah. weeks and, and they check you out, but you can't see even the, I mean, the little tears, you can't see mm. much less the big tears. You can't see inside during a public exam. This is behind the vaginal wall that this damage has occurred. So the doctors who are not educated about avulsion, even if they are by looking in the vaginal canal, they can't see the damage. It has to be by imagery. It has to be by ultrasound or by MRI. And there are certainly things that, that predispose you, you know, to having, we went through that already, yes. having an avulsion. But it's important to, to know that um, if you have been seeing a physical therapist 
or a urogynecologic surgeon and you've tried multiple different things, you, you wanna put off surgery if you possibly can, you've tried multiple different things, you've tried strengthening your pelvic floor, okay. you've tried uh, tra addressing your posture, you don't pick up any stuff anymore, um, tried the pessary thing, and, and nothing that you've tried is helping or works, then you need to take it to the next level and start to get into the evolution uh, situation because that might be what the problem is with, um, well, you can't even get a pessary because there are there are like 20 something different shapes mm -hmm. and types of pessaries. Yes. And and that is because depending on what type of prolapse you have, uh, it's going to make a difference how your that space inside is shaped. And um, certainly there are other things that that uh, come into the picture as well. I mean, we're as different on the inside as we are on the outside, just naturally even before we have babies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's like, well, everyone has the same face. No, we all look different. That's right. And, and so that's how it is on the inside too. So that there are so many kinds of pessaries and we hear from women on a regular basis that they've tried three different types of pessaries or four different types of pessaries and none of them worked. And sometimes that's because clinicians aren't well-educated in pessaries or okay. pessary fitting. Yes. So that doesn't always mean you have an evolution. Sometimes it's just, you know, the nature of, of um, mistreating. Such it. a trial but, and error thing with pessaries. And women hate that because they're never kind of told yes. that at the beginning. They're like, here's a little ring. Off you go. And then like, yeah. hey, that doesn't work. Exactly. But they, I wish they were told yeah. at the beginning, you could probably try seven to 10 different types, three to four different sizes until you find your fit. And then if you don't find your fit, we'll have a right. further conversation. Right. Yeah. See, and, and have any of that information, that basic information up front is so helpful to it because when they get discouraged, you've tried yeah. all of this stuff on your own. You've tried all these non-surgical options and, and you, you've seen, uh, I don't know, are, are, can physical therapists um, prescribe pessaries by well, you? Because they can't in the U.S. In Australia. They can't here. Oh, okay. In Australia, it's a specific women's health physio. I got to see one, um, one in particular where we live and she was able to try different sizes and, and let me go and try. But let me tell you, I had to buy every single one of those things that I tried. Yes. And to go to that appointment was $250 every time. And none so of it's, it's money, money, money. Yeah. None of it's covered yes. on health cover or, um, you know, Medicare or things like that here. It's all privately funded. Yeah. See, and, and then that's a big, that's a big issue all by itself. I mean, mm. just the, the, the cost involved with this, because it's not just, I mean, and, and it makes sense that they can't, you can't do a trial and error thing with pessaries because it's internal yeah. and, and, you know, you can't take it back and then somebody else is going to put it inside themselves. So you can't do that, obviously, but that you have to go through um, sometimes that many experimental pessaries. And it's not just that pessary cost. It's the cost of that clinician that's doing the fitting. It's expensive. It, it really adds up. Do you so, know what else is the cost there? Sorry. I just want to say it also is your the cost to yourself emotionally for the hope that it could sure. work for the hope that you can walk your baby in the pram for 100 meters and not be in pain that's the yeah. thing I got most despondent about is that every time I tried something new I, I would be fitted and I'd walk around the car park at the clinic I'm like yeah it's okay and then as soon as we get out of the car to come home just flop straight out right 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 and that yeah, was heartbreaking every time yeah, sure. It, it, it's it's a huge frustration, and, and you're you're hopeful, and it's dashed. Your hopes are dashed. Then, so 
And it gets to the point after that's happened several times where you're like, so do I even bother trying? Is anything going to work? You know, it, it, it's, it's very frustrating. So um, there's just so much more that we have got to understand about these kinds of issues. And, and I, I so wish that, I mean, I have pitched to universities, medical schools, mm-hmm for years, years and years, and trying to get in to speak to the students that are freshly coming in yeah. who don't know what they want to do. Yes. They don't know what they want to go to school for. And to try and funnel some into the biotechnology and the medical mm-hmm. fields to get more researchers, to get more answers, to get more, more treatment devices and so on, and get those that are more effective. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're seeing now, right now, I mean, I've, I've seen a surge in development of pessaries in that femtech space sure in that femtech space over the past about i'd say about maybe two years ago i started to see the surge moving up and (laughs) the one that i'm most excited about is is the one that cosm cosm has got uh, derek has is uh, his vision is it's not marketed yet but his vision is a custom fitted 3d um (laughs) Pessary. So he, he rec- we had conversations about this. It has to be over two years ago at conference. We were talking and uh, he was telling me you know, about his vision, what he wanted to do. And, and I thought, this is brilliant. It's custom made for this person. You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's the right one. So um, uh, they're not, they have a ways to go yet. They just went through another round of seed funding because it's so innovation is so expensive. Oh yeah. And, and so they're, they're going through the, the, the next round and they got, they got the additional funding that they needed. So that's a good thing, oh, brilliant. but there's just so much down the pipeline. And um, what's frustrating is the length of time it takes to bring innovation mm. to, to use for women, you know, yeah. to, bring, to bring it to market. So um, in the meantime, we just do what we can to try and, and plant seeds for women, what they can do to support themselves and each other and and different things that they can try best way and honestly yeah the most valuable tool that we have in apop space is the voices of the women that that are in our forum because they nurture and guide each other all day i mean apop doesn't isn't doing any of the heavy lifting here Mm. it's women in our space that do the heavy lifting sharing their information with each other so it isn't just about women coming in and they're like this is what's going on with me you know what do i do Women will say, you know, I, I tried this and this and this, and yeah. these two didn't work, but this one, wow, it's yeah. fabulous. And this is where so, I got it from. And here you go. Right. Here's all the information. And exactly. oh, look, I've got this thing spare if you want to try it. Like I've seen that too. People saying, oh, look, I couldn't use this garment, but I'll give it to you. You try right. it. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's amazing. I love that space. I love it, being in that it, space. It, it, it's, it, it's so encouraging. And, and because women are, are so when they're um, diagnosed with, whether it's prolapse or avulsion, when the diagnosis comes down, in, initially it's, it's high anxiety because they don't know. <laughs> they don't know what, like you said, you had to do, just dig on into Google and find out what you had to find out. And that's what I did too with the prolapse side of it. And, and um, it, it, it's, for me, I was just ticked off. I was mad, but, but um, so many women are in high states of anxiety. Yes. And, and so then as they go through this journey and then they try things and they don't work, especially when it's one thing they're trying over and over, like a pessary, mm-hmm. wow, that yeah. it's just, it's so hard to keep yourself lifted up when that's the backdrop. It truly is, Sherry. So, I, um, so I've, had, I've been to three different separate clinics and I've tried probably seven to eight different pessaries now. 
And the issue for me is that one on one of the examinations, um, the doctor did to me, like obviously with his hand kind of shoved up there. Oh, it's like the mm-hmm. abyss in here. No amount of thank living, you very much. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. amount of silicon yeah. is going to actually be able to plug it so your organs can sit on top. So he gave me like the biggest donut pessary that you can get, which mm-hmm. is literally like the size of a donut and it's about this thick. So oh, wow. theoretically, mm-hmm. yeah, it should work, but try and get that in your opening. See, here's the problem. That, 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 that space is that big up here, <laughs> but the space getting to that space is this big around. And you tear <laughs> so your, I can't yeah. imagine how to get it in there. Yeah, I try. Like you tear your labia, you tear the skin, and then you have abrasions, and then it leads on yeah. to other things. So for me, I, I'm, a, I'm a thinker. I'm always like wondering why this and why and why, like you did, why aren't people in that femtech space developing something new? I said right. to my sister, my nephew's quite a genius, and I said, can't he invent something for a 3D printer? So as soon as you said that, I thought, because you need something long and narrow to go in and then to open mm-hmm. up once it's in. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I've kind of been always researching just privately for my own. I need to find something for myself first and foremost, mm-hmm. really. And mm-hmm. um, there's some young girls in New York who were at a university who were do- So obviously your talks must be seeding out there somewhere because I don't know how three young girls who have never had kids were ever interested in this space but they're bringing to market something that is very much like that. It's like a tampon applicator and then it opens up like a mushroom. We need more of those. And look, right. we don't know if these are going to help women with evulsions or not, but I'm going to try. Right. Sure. You bet. You don't, you don't know what you don't know. And, and that was, that was the, um, the theory behind the, the first over the counter um, pessary that came out the Impressa and that's mm-hmm. how it, it's, it goes in like a tampon and then it's like an umbrella. Yeah. inside and and i just i couldn't understand how it could possibly collapse to get it back out and I, you picture an umbrella you're like hur, 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 you know, back out of there. it's like it's crazy that's not gonna feel good you know so um then when i finally saw it i was just the the, the design that these these amazing biomedical engineering people yes the, 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 their vision is just it's it's way light years beyond what my brain can do i love it uh, and, and it, it, it gives me so much hope it gives me so much hope and when you see the young ones engaging uh like i said even the women that have never had they, they never had ba- been pregnant yeah. or had babies you know mm-hmm. and and the, but they recognize that this is this is this is an upcoming space that's going to be massive and i share that all the time in um I've got a, a pretty strong following on the white coat, white collar side in LinkedIn. Yep. And I share comments like that all the time. It's like, okay, all you biomed people, come on down, you know, yeah. because this will be, I don't think, I know this is the next significant revolution and evolution in women's wellness. I don't, I'm positive it's, it's going to be because it's, it's, it's the last great silent frontier. Yeah. And, and women are, men. We're getting more and more empowered. You know, we went, we go through phases with this empowerment stuff and now we're in a surge because of all the fem, femtech stuff pushing yes. it up. Yeah. And uh, so it's just like, hang on and wait for it. It's like, the inertia. Yeah. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, going back to your conversation earlier about um, can you prevent prolapse? I mean, there's so many contributing factors to prolapse. Mm-hmm. Will we ever be in a space where we can prevent it altogether? Or is this just something that prolapse? is going to be forever? Yeah. 
I don't think so. My honest opinion, I don't think so. Yeah. Because of, and, and I mean, never say, and, I, and that sounds very negative, you know, and never say never, but because the, the, there's, the causal factors are so diverse mm. and if, if we're just looking at the comorbid condition situation with women that have got Ehlers-Danlos and, and how they're predisposed to POP, mm. um, uh, the, the lifestyle and behaviors you can adjust and make women understand that if you do this, this is going to happen. Yes. We can get to that page. That could happen. But unless it gets to the point where we're, I mean, there's some amazing new device someone comes up with that they're able to insert it into the vagina and stretch the vagina to enable the baby to come out smoothly and easily. I don't see how we're going to get past the childbirth aspect of it. And when you're looking at, I mean, there's, if you talk about a C-section versus natural or, or vaginal, I'm I should say not natural. I'm glad you went there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It just, it, it explodes. Women on either side of the fence get so upset. They're so passionately committed to their, you know, their beliefs. hundred percent. And the reality is, is, is a key doesn't fit in every lock. Mm. We're all different. We all have different needs. And so, I mean, if, if I was told ahead of the curve that I was going to have your situation, that it was going to be a long, long labor much less all the other stuff. Yeah. As I cut me open, (laughs) cut me open. I'm not going to go through 36 hours. No, no, no. Just take that baby out. Yeah. And there's certainly risk that comes with, with um, C-section too. Yeah. I was going to say, can I just jump in? Because I want to be really clear in the fact that um, vaginal birth, like you said, is, is a high risk factor for pop. And I know some people who have a cesarean birth still have pop. However, this is the difference. If a woman is going to have a cesarean birth, they sit down with their specialist, you know, if it's not an emergency, and the doctor talks them through all the pros and cons, risks, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that you potentially could bleed, all the things. And then you have to sign a form that says, I understand what has been told to me. When you go in for a Mm -hmm. vaginal birth, there's nothing. There's no risk factors about what happens if you have an epidural right. that goes right. wrong, what happens with the use of forceps, what, um, what could happen with an episiotomy that cuts your pelvic floor open. There is none of that conversation. Right. And that's what I right. just wish right. women could have before in labor so that they can right. say, make an informed choice and say, well, I'm, right. I'm now here and this is what's being presented to me. A, no, I'd still like to go down the vaginal mm-hmm. path. That's my choice. Or B, I'm thinking with all of this, maybe a cesarean might be better for me. Maybe. And maybe right, not, right, you know. Right, right. But you can't right. make a choice if you don't know any, like, you know, back to that, we don't want to scare women. However, mm-hmm. if you were However, going in for brain yeah. surgery or heart surgery, they're going to tell you that you could die. And that's scary. Right. But you do it anyway, right. and you do it because you have an understanding and you get to work through that fear before the right. surgery. Right. Why exactly. is it any different exactly. because of a baby? <laughs> right. I do think there's a chance we'll get to that page right, where elective C is an option. Okay. Um, I don't think it's going to happen in the next couple of years, but I do think we'll get to that page as, as more research comes out that, that validates for these issues with the damage that occurs. Um, I, I do think there's potential to you know, change things. Part of, part of the, the problem with, with that 
changing the system is the insurance companies. They have so much control over the money flow and, and what's a, 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 what's an acceptable medical practice. I don't think insurance companies should have any say whatsoever in what health choices people make. You should always be able to, you know, without in your, your insurance company, at least here in the States, um, they, they are the ones that control so much of the decision-making. So um, by that, do you mean like similar here in Australia, if you wanted an elective Caesar, we have to have private health. If you want to go in the public system, you, you don't have an option. You birth originally right. or emergency Caesar. Is that similar there? Right. Okay. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so, and, and I don't, I don't even know that elective Caesar at all here. I mean, if okay. you have a really good relationship with your doctor, maybe, you know, oh, when he wow. kind of, you know, modifies how it's worded and what your issues are or whatever, um, then you might be able to, I mean, certainly there are some things that are planned because of, you know, those health issues that have occurred. But um, to just say, if you're like, if you're a perfectly healthy woman and you are tiny, you're really petite mm-hmm. and you're married to a guy with a really big head, <laughs> you're terrified. <laughs> it's going to be a train wreck oh and you God. should be. Yeah. And, um, and so you, and you discuss it with your, your clinician and, and your, your surgeon and are your ob guy and um uh she's she may you know say well this is absolutely they you know they've done the ultrasound the baby they see how, the, how big the baby is and there's definitely going to be some damage that happens when this baby that baby comes out vaginally and and so th- there are situations where they they can modify uh and, and make the magic happen for women yeah but by and large if you're you know you're a healthy woman you don't have any of these health issues occurring you don't have the option you just don't have the option so um i had a conversation with someone gosh i can't remember where it was at who wanted this is this is kind of off to the side isn't really tied into this completely but there's a woman and it was related to her her uterus and she wanted to have she was in her early 30s and she wanted to have her uterus removed Mm -hmm. she wanted to have a hysterectomy and i i don't know what the reasoning was behind it um, if, if there was a history of, of uh, cancer, okay, yep, cervical cancer, whatever, that's and that's cool. why she wanted to avoid that potential uh, risk. And the doctor who is, and this particular doctor is a, a highly respected. He's a wonderful, wonderful. He's an excellent surgeon. Wonderful doctor refused to do it because she had, had, didn't have any kids, wow. and and she didn't have any really legitimate reason to have her oh. uterus removed. So, so there's, there's only so much that you can, now certainly she could keep dancing around. She would find, eventually find a doctor that would take her uterus out, but now you're risking having a doctor with fewer scruples, probably less qualified surgeon doing this. He says, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Give it a go. Right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, now what's going to (laughs) happen? You know, that'll be the fallout from that. So, um, so yeah, so insurance comes into the picture. There's just so many layers to it. I, I am, I see Tremendous, tremendous changes and evolution coming in vaginal health in in the upcoming probably five to ten years. Um, as more light is being shined on this, as as the, the the conversation gets louder and stronger, and the stigma starts dropping away. Yes, uh, and that's key to everything. I mean, the the problem is is so hugely that 
um, even as women were uncomfortable. I'm not, I talk about vaginas all the time, but, but that's my job. That's You're what not. I do. My family, my, my family will get used to it, but they're used to it now. And or at least they pretend to be used to it. And it definitely links back to what we were saying before about the people who are, you know, the a cesarean birth camp or a vaginal birth camp. They're really passionate about what they do. So for poor mums who are confused and don't know, I think the natural birth advocate for me, my experience was much louder and it felt mm-hmm. more natural and, and the right thing to do. And being an A-type personality, I wanted to do the right thing, not what was yeah. going to be easy for me. And I didn't want to be called too posh to push and have a Caesar and have that judgment. So of course, women are naturally gravitate towards things that use the words like natural, normal, <laughs> sure, you're sure, a good sure. mom. And it, yeah. that's, that's huge. I, we, I, uh, one it's little duck can much. never change that. I am a strong believer right. in vaginal. Like I had two vaginal births. I'm not against vaginal mm-hmm. birth. I'm against the um, this persuasion that women have to have it at all costs. I know women could yeah. be listening to this now in that space that would say risk factors, schmishmactors. It's mm-hmm. nothing if you just trust your body enough and have the right and no medical intervention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baloney, baloney. I Those hear it all the time. Had. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's it's usually um, unsettling to me that women can be so judgmental about other women's choices. Yes. Um, you yeah. know, it, it, it's the bottom line is everyone has a right to their own health decisions mm-hmm. and everyone should respect everyone else's health choice at all costs. Yes. Um, I, I, had, I don't have a lot of patience with, with um, finger pointing. I just don't, I don't. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's absurd. It's really absurd. And, and I try not to engage in those kinds of conversations in person because <laughs> I it's get quite too, vocal about it. <laughs> too hard. And a good thing. The thing is you never, it's actually not our position. I never want to try and change someone's opinion on if their if their stance is vaginal birth and they think that's the best thing for every woman, then that's up to mm-hmm. them. And it doesn't matter right. what I'm not ready. Right. Yeah, I'm not there to change their mind because I don't disagree. <laughs> you know? Right, right, I just, exactly. I just want the whole picture. I feel like that that's just half the story. I just want the other half of the story to come together. Right, the women right. don't have to be doing this ping pong. They can just go, right, oh, okay, right. that's that. That's that. This is me. We're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And just having having access to the information is it's just huge. You know, like I said, that that women don't, they're not advised about any of this, this stuff ahead of the curve. Yeah, and I think um, that was one of our member questions in the Brave Mamahood that said, why do, and she wanted to ask you directly, why is POP not routinely discussed pre-birth? And, and that is it's a, the only, the only reason that I can come up with is that hugely for the majority of healthcare's history, it has been a, a male centric hmm. mindset. And um, we're seeing now for the first time that, that there's, I believe there's actually more women going into your gynecology than there is men. It's like 51, 49 okay. percentages. Um, but, but so much of, um, of health, and if you go back to the, the gynecologic papyrus, uh, Cahoon, yeah. 1835 BC, back then, there weren't female doctors. There weren't female healthcare practitioners. I mean, certainly women, there were midwife type women that helped person in the family that helped other women have babies. Yeah. But that was it. And, and, and so over the history of healthcare, 
there are, are a couple that kind of bent the rules. And because of that, that's why, why the field of gynecology actually became a separate field of healthcare. But um, uh, to me, there is no logical reason, none whatsoever. Mm. Uh, it, it's, just, it's like a big gap, a big gap in, in the big picture. And yeah. um, I, I get so rattled. This is my drive me crazy all day, every day thing <laughs> is, is why women aren't screened for POP during routine public exams, because if 50% of women are experiencing this condition, and certainly there's no, no, I see studies on a regular basis that say 50%, but I also see studies that say 3% and 96% yeah. and you know, it's all over. And this is because women aren't screened. Yeah. How can they possibly know what the data is if they don't screen them during routine public exams? And since childbirth is cause number one, menopause is cause number two, two of the most impactful life events women experience are causal factors. <laughs> Why aren't they all screened? It just doesn't make any sense. I can, it's, feel it's crazy. Your, I can feel your pain. Like it's just, yeah, the frustration. I get so frustrated. Yeah. Of I get course. So frustrated. And of course, the, when it's kind of funny, you know, if, you, if you would see me at um, medical conferences, when I'm in the industry, what they do at medical conferences, they have their sessions, educational sessions, and then they have industry booths, space breaks. Yeah. And so different companies like, say, Boston Scientific or, or um, Coloplast, whatever, they will have, um, you know, let's snacks and drinks, whatever, yes. um, happy hour, whatever, in, yep. by the booths during, during the, the um, conference. And some of the doctors that I know really well like to come and grab me and take me over to a booth that's got wine. And they'll put a glass of wine in my hand because they know if they ask the right questions, they'll get me all wound up. And they think it's funny and all get out. <laughs> like, you guys are just too funny. So I'm like, I'm going to tell farm girl stories today, not POP stories, <laughs> you know? I so, it. um, yeah, I, I, the things that are, I was asked a question on a webinar that I did recently with the, uh, amazing urologist. He asked me if, if, um, I was the head of the NIH, which is the big research yes. group in, in the States here. And I had complete control over where the money flowed to uh-huh. in research what would I choose to be a pivot point? Oh, that's a good question. And I question. bust out laughing and I, and I said, you know, you know, Hugo, I said, that's a big bucket. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really big bucket because there's multiple things that I want to see happen. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, I, if I had to choose just one, it would have to do with the diagnostic. Well, it's kind of a, a two together awareness for women and, and awareness for the, the diagnostic clinicians because women don't know about prolapse because the doctors aren't screening for it mm-hmm. and the doctors aren't screening for it. The women, so the women don't, I mean, so it's like a chicken egg kind of thing, you know, they, yeah. they come together. Yeah. So we've got to do so much more to address it from both angles. And certainly uh, APOPS has got uh, our vision board is jam packed with stuff that I want to do and it all costs big money to do. It, it, may, it gets very frustrating. It's very hard, but um uh, the need for a shift in the clinician best practice yes, like a at the diagnostic level is yeah. huge because what's going to happen is huge. Once awareness goes large, a flood of women are going to come into the doctor saying, I've got these symptoms. Yeah. Scream me. Yeah. And then the doctors won't know what to do yeah. or how to do it. I mean, they can have women put their feet in the stirrups, but if you're laying on your back and your organs are laying down flat, you're not going to see the prolapse appropriately. Or if so, you've been driving I mean, for two hours to get to that appointment, sitting down, and then you get there and you lay down and they're like, eh, it's not so bad. But then at seven o'clock at night, you take a photo and it's like this big, 
you know, or, right, you know exactly. people can't see that, but like a, like a, like a, you know, a piece of fruit. That's what right, they need exactly. to see what really happens. That's why I've been graded and right. um, like three different diagnosis types and, mm-hmm. and different grades. It's crazy. Yeah. See, they see behind the curtain that if you ask any 10 year old gynecologists, the same question, yes, you'll get 11 answers. <laughs> And that pretty much sums up the big picture. Sorry. <laughs> it's such, I mean, it's all over the page and, and just like every surgeon oh, uh, has his own preferred surgical techniques and every surgeon has his own preference, how much he likes to advise women about non-surgical treatments yes. prior to trying surgery. Some do, some don't, um, you know, it's all over the page. So again, it's like uh, trial we, and error with the pessaries. You've got a trial and error with the surgeon, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot, so much more that we have to do and so much more that we have to learn, obviously. And um, the bottom line is, is as we drop that shroud of stigma that encases vaginal health, these conditions that are part of vaginal health and uh, women get more comfortable talking about this stuff out loud, Mm. we will push the agenda. We will all push the agenda. So um, every time a, a woman um, I have women reach out to me through APOP's website that are all, you know, ramped up and they were just diagnosed and they're like, you know, I'm going to change this and I'm going to do this and this and this. And I'm like, go, 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 just do yeah, it. Just, Everybody just let your voice get loud and get comfortable and rowdy. And, and, and cause every voice that's loud will spark other voices that are loud. It's going to take a and, lot. And yeah. it, you know, it gets things cooking then. So that, that's yeah. a good thing. That's a good thing. Sherry, tell us what is in the, the immediate near future for APOPs? Well, we're obviously the big push is always, always having to do with um, the awareness side of it, like I just said. And, and so we have, we, we talk about ways to blow it up. Yep. How can we blow it up? Because of the stigma, it's hard to find the avenues. And I, I chase journalists all the time. Every day I'm chasing some journalist or some TV show or some magazine. I'm always chasing them all. Yeah. And um, so we just start to think outside the box a little bit. And I think about if we had the money to do a full page uh, like ad in a women's magazine and women that are in like the the, the, the 20 to 35 sector mm-hmm. and in another women's magazine that is in like the 35 to yes. 60 sector yes we would reach so many women and, and we also i mean we've got i mean that would be a very valuable tool it's very expensive to do that but um we have got a poster that's a whisper away from coming out okay and um what's holding this back is trying to figure out the navigation of the sales tax okay when you sell these posters i mean it is it building the poster was I mean, that took layers and steps and so on and so forth. Distribution takes yes. ways to figure out that kind of stuff too. Um, but when it comes to how you report your sales to the government, you got to oh. get it right or you're going to have problems. Right. And so the vision is to have this poster. Is a, it's a basic, it's a very basic poster. And this is the, actually the second poster. The first one that I, I had built um, I was very, very pleased because the imagery of the prolapses just jumped out at you and the imagery of the symptoms just jumped out of you. And that's all that's on this poster. Yeah, Most medical posters have got tons of, of text on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And women don't read that stuff. Yeah, patients don't time. read that stuff. Yeah. You know, and yeah. So so you want to see a, a, a really impactful visual. And, and, and I was very happy with that poster. And then um, I had a sample set to me, sent to me of the full-size poster. 
it's going to be in two different sizes, but the smaller size. And my son looked at it, who's, who's uh, in his early, early 30s. And he said, he says, Ma, your poster's scary. I'm like, what do you mean my poster's scary? He's like, I tend to use, and I do this all the time. <laughs> and it's, it's a bad habit of mine. I, I, A-pop's colors are black and red. Okay. And so I had a black backdrop. And then, of course, the, the organ imagery was in, you know, tan Color. colors, like, yeah, like the, the body imagery would be. And then I had, like, red lettering for the symptoms. And he says, he says, that poster is probably going to scare some women. And I'm like, you know, what? I looked, I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. Mm -hmm. So I took it with me to a doctor's office. Okay. And the doctor's office, I'm waiting for the doctor to come in. I put it up on the wall. I'm like, it is scary. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the drawing board, had to yeah. go get another one. So I, I contacted, uh, we're very fortunate. Um, some people offer us some pro bono services and there's yeah, a graphic artist company in the UK that um, is in our forum and she she offered to, to do this uh, design for us Brilliant. and I love the new design and it's, it's a, a very calm colors and I, I love the poster itself so um, it's got very basic information so the, the vision is to have that poster on the wall in every practitioner's office that offers public exams love it that's the vision Beautiful. and so if it's freely available to be seen and you're sitting there on the table going do the do 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 you know what do yeah. you do you're looking at the walls and you see the poster and it will help spark that awareness and may help spark the conversation women that have got symptoms that see one of their symptoms on that poster will now ask the doctor yeah. i have got this symptom and this system is it possible i've got prolapses on that poster yeah it sparks the conversation sometimes women have got incontinence they're embarrassed to talk about it now it's part of the conversation i love so, it so um that that that's the you know it's always about awareness. It's like women have to have this information. They just do. That's so, so good. We'll get there. Oh, we'll yeah. get there. I think the last question I want to ask you is it for our listeners now, what can we be doing at home to be part of this change? Well, the biggest thing that women can do is talk to, if you're experiencing any of these conditions or symptoms, talk to your loved ones, talk to your mothers and your daughters and your sisters and your friends, the women that you work with. Yeah. Um, talk to your husbands and your significant others yeah. because men don't know this stuff either. And yeah. when you, you have pain with intimacy and you pull away from intimate activities, mm -hmm. now you're creating a barrier in your relationship and your partner thinks it's because you don't like sex. Yeah. It's huge. You don't know that it? you have pain. It's a huge big deal. So talking about this out loud is a very, very big, brave, bold move. It's pivotal. And just know that when you do that, I'm beaming. <laughs> I am <laughs> beaming the grins from ear to ear. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. Um, this is something that it, it's just health. It's women's health. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. Yep. And we have got to do everything we can to tear down that wall of stigma and patient voice women's voices are what's going to make that happen i love your message i love everything you're doing and i have looked up to you my entire journey because i didn't know anyone else who's doing it and i still don't know anyone else who's doing it like you so thank you so much for coming on today i appreciate your time your energy your effort and your passion it's amazing oh, well we're all in this together stephanie you know it is I, it gives me so much hope when when i connect with, with women that have taking it to that next level like you have it's an important important step and and time. it takes different amounts of time to get to that page yes but soon we'll all be on that page i go i do believe that i do believe that so awesome thanks again <laughs>
Like I said at the end of our chat with Sherry, I am truly honoured to have had this opportunity to talk with her one-on-one and then be able to share it with you. Sherry gives so much of herself every single day just to ensure that we, you and me, don't have to feel alone in this pop space. We can all be learning so much from her and the whole APOPs community. How lucky are we, right? And it's a super busy week here on the pod as we have a bonus episode coming your way this Friday for International Love Your Lawyer Day. Yup, you heard it. It's a real thing, apparently. It's also a really important conversation that we're having with lawyer Hayley Wilkes about birth trauma and the legal system. I'll be sharing my personal experiences of navigating the Australian legal system, and I do hope that this conversation gives you some insight that I only wished I had five years ago. We're also going to be continuing with our quick tips and tricks for those who just want a short, sharp, unscripted, 15-minute-ish format. So there's something for everyone. I love being part of this amazing community. Thank you so much for inspiring me every day. Until next time, bye for now. Mama.